93. Whisper in your lover's ear. Text the Soundhawk 303-548-6877. Soundhawk, welcome. Thanks. You enjoying the fire? I can hear the gas fire rippling. I know. I feel all boards of Canada E after that intro. I like that one. Well, and the weather is what very Canadian right now. What a treat. What right a treat now. every week we get. So something new from old gay. <sighs> Whatever. Don't, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. No, I do wish that's my motto this show. I like the sound of the fire. I, I, the only thing that's missing is the crackling of a real fire. Oh, it's not, I, I can make a real fire at my house. Congratulations. When's the last time you did that? I've never done it. Because mm-hmm. I've never cleaned out my chimney. Well, I remember when I was a kid, there were, there were chimney sweeps that would come through the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Usually like in the fall, I suppose. And they, they, had their, they dressed like Dick Van Dyke from... Mary Poppins. Oh, no, they didn't. Yeah, they had like a top hat. When? Well, when you were a kid. Yeah. Right. When you were... No, they didn't. Too busy finding dead dead bodies and running around. This was when I was a little younger, but they would clean the chimney and then they would throw Tootsie Rolls from the roof. (laughs) Is it? True story. (laughs) Wow. Damn. I know. How's that for nostalgia? Maybe, Maybe we should go back. Maybe we should make America great again. Easy now. Tootsie Rolls and... Bellhops, not bellhops. Chimney sweeps. So yeah, welcome to Natch. We hope by now you've enjoyed episode Bravo of In the Face, our our uh, NFL insider tarot reading. I think podcast. what we're doing is we're set, we're becoming the podcast network for insiders. No matter what your specialty, if you want to be an insider on food, we've got, you're at you're at the right place. The that, that's the insider's voice right there. If you want to be an insider on the football action, here he is, right here, NFL insider. Josh, and you know Josh what? Tyson Tyson. There might be a third show coming down the pike here. Um, you know, we've we've been doing the book club. We've gone we've gone two books now. We're thinking for our next I book. Got more than two. I think Have just we? two. I think just Naked Ape and then Didion. No, we did another one. I'm not so sure we did. But anyway, for the next one, we're thinking about just another another might uh, carve show. it off. Another show, yeah, carve it off. We gotta. 
So watch for that. You could be getting three shows a week from us. So, Mark, I ran into your lovely life partner. Because I think that's what they want. And they've been asking for. Yeah. Give me three shows a week. Your text phone's been ringing off the hook. Mm -hmm. So I ran into your lovely life partner, Jenny, at the library the other day. I heard about that. She was getting a book of Chekhov stories. I know that. She was... She was lamenting the fact that they didn't have the complete stories of O. Henry, which I have. So don't, I told her she could borrow it. So rem, remember to remind me to go get it out of the basement. Just we'll hit pause and go get it. Well, no, no, no. We'll get it in a little bit. But O. Henry's stories are great because they're, most Twists. of them are like two or three pages. You can, you know, you can read six or seven in a, in a single shitting. But uh, she was reading some Chekhov. I've read The Duel, which is an anno- uh, uh, Fantastic story, but there is a, Zing. there's a motion picture version of the duel mm-hmm. that came out in 2010 that I knew that they had on DVD there. Cause I've, I've rented it myself and it is astonishing. It uh, is so good. And the story, as I heard it, Jenny goes into the library. Yeah. Oh, there's Josh talking to some old high school buddy. My friend Dave, he was in my French class. He's a librarian there. And he sees the check off and he's, he's just the enthusiasm in his face. He runs over to the movie section, finds the duel, brings it back, says, you have to watch this. Yeah, that, and she brings it happened. home, and I look at it, and across the top, the only blurb is, Chekhov never offered a more tempting sample of sexual ripeness. <laughs> have you read that book? That story? I have not read the book. Did you watch it? Nor have movie? I watched the movie yet. Oh, the movie is so good. I'm not kidding you. Like, the movie... You know, the book, the book was good. I think we're the story it was good. Night. Is, it, is it a tempting sample of sexual ripeness? You get to see that young <laughs> nymph's boobies at one point. All right. They're, they're quite ripe. I'm in. No, but it is. Uh, so, you know, the story is about uh, Ivan Andrik and his uh, girlfriend, Nadiezda. Nadiezda. Are you looking at something? I'm, I just have to look at their names. I'm not going to commit yeah, those to memory. Because it's not on the document that you get to by... Signing up for the newsletter. A couple of young lovers who have moved to a small village somewhere in Russia. In the Caucasus. A seaside village. And, um, you know, she's still married. So this is very taboo. I think this book was written in the late 1800s, I'm guessing. Mm. Early 1900s. Mm. Um, so so it's, a, it's an antiquated story in a way, but it's a timeless story. And when I watch the movie in particular... Dude, you have these glasses that you are wearing. Hold on, let me finish this. Thought. I can't because it's so hard... <laughs> When you get earnest and you're serious, and then I look over. And I'm wearing these amazing glasses. <laughs> so real quick, we'll try to get this on Instagram for sure. Josh has a vintage thrift yeah. store pair of Michael Caine glasses. Yeah, they're kind of more Roy Orbison, honestly. That he has they have taken to the eye doctor and prescriptionized with like <laughs> am- an amber tint. <laughs> it's, I don't know why everyone's not doing the amber tint. You want to see see the world through rose-tinted glasses? Amber-tinted glasses? Amber. I interrupted. Go ahead. Oh, what I liked about the movie, though, is uh, it, ah, the, everything felt so contemporary in a way, too. Like, I felt like the guy in particular, the main character, like was like so many of the young roustabouts that I knew back in the sweet nothings oh, days, Mark. These <laughs> these kind of shitbags. Oh, like, I mean, he I had... I never got chapter three. Well, oh. I haven't asked. Oh, I'm almost done with chapter three, actually. Oh, wait a minute. You haven't written all the... I no, thought well, you had okay. written the whole thing as a movie. I wrote the whole screenplay as a movie. It was like 250 pages or something. Or no, too many, but that's Not right. 250, but you, you want about n- between 90 and 120. You really want to shop that thing around, yeah. 
Right. So, but to get it to like just over 120, I'd cut out some material. And then the more I'm thinking about it, it's like, I was just trying to shoehorn this story into a, into a small box. Like it needs to be a series. You need to spend more time with these characters. So I've been, I've shared with you episodes one and two, but then episode three, it was one of the, the first two episodes were pretty much just straight polls from what I'd written for the movie. But when we get to episode three, I wanted to add some, some, I see. So you have not written the whole series. No, 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 no. But you have many of the episodes are already there in the movie script. Right. But you do have to flesh some stuff out. You got it. You can't got wait. It. Can't wait. Well, I'm ready for three. Oh, I'll send it to you. It's almost done. I've been working on it this week. More with these freaking dirt bags. Well, this this dirt bag, um, Ivan Andreich is I'm kind not of sure a dirt I like bag any too. Of the characters. This guy just like he's got this pretty like hot girlfriend who is into him, even though he's like a douche. Which I knew that guy happens, but he's not happy. It's not it's not enough for him. So he's just drinking and gambling and wasting his time. And that the story is like there's this scientist who I think is so repulsed by his behavior, he challenges him to a duel. The duel. Because he doesn't think he deserves to live. So, enjoy that. You should read the story first before you watch the movie, though. Wow. Told you, Philip Rivers. 23 likes and counting. I can't wait to watch that that, movie. Read the story first. It's not that long a story. It's a novella. Yeah. You can't handle a novella? Well, not not by tomorrow night. You just want to watch that movie. You want to see them. Them perkies, I got you. Okay. Half of America. Nudity aside, though, it's a great, great fucking movie. You, I can't uh, wait. You're, you are in for a fucking treat, my sexual friend. Sexual ripeness is exactly what we need on a Saturday night. Yeah. Without the kids. Are the kids not going to be home? I don't think so. Oh, my God. You are <laughs> setting the stage. Half of them. Oh, Lord. And you know what? The, the main character, the actor who plays the main character, kind of looks like a cross between you and Mark Ruffalo. Like he's got a Mark Ruffalo's what? features, but he's got kind of a smaller head. <laughs> I'm saying it might, it might really do the trick. It's going to be some action. Hot in the city Half of tonight. Americans don't really give a rat's ass what they eat, survey says. Munchies, vice. Maybe GMOs, conscientious carnivorism, and healthy eating are things that interest you deeply. And that's why you like reading about food or listening to food podcasts. Like this one. But there are just as many people who could, couldn't care much less? Oh my god. That's vintage munchies. <laughs> I'm not even going to look up who wrote this. Many people who couldn't care much less about what they stuffed their faces with. God, dangling preposition. If the election painted a vivid picture of an intensely divided America, a new massive report from the Pew Research Center shows there's an equally deep divide over food. Dude. Some results for you. 18% of people reported that the statement, my main focus is on eating healthy and nutritious. God, this doesn't make any sense either. Okay, they did a survey. The question is, is your main focus on eating healthy and nutritious? 18% of people said, yes, that describes me very well. 55% 55% said that it described them fairly well. There's a whole 25% who said it didn't describe them not well, not at all. Whatever, man. Pass the chili cheese fries. Ace reporting, munchies. <laughs> I actually read that article, though. Um, yeah. yeah. It sounds like the yeah. actual Pew Research Center report is, has some interesting stuff in it about organic yeah. and GMO, but the gist of it is you at least a it, quarter of us don't give, don't give a crap what we eat. Not surprising. Well, maybe a bit of a surprise, too, but, but the thing is, I think 
if the election proved anything, it's that our methods of polling for certain types of Ooh, information. Interesting take on this story, Josh. Are a little jacked, a little antiquated, not keeping up with the social media phenomenon. <laughs> so why shouldn't it be? It, it, it was a surprise that enough people wanted John, Donald Trump to run the con- country. I mean, it's kind of a surprise that a lot of people don't give a shit about eating decent food. But is it? Survey says. Speak of sur- speaking of surveys, so sure. FDA publishes adverse events on dietary supplements and conventional foods. This is the first time we've gotten this a glimpse. Big news. We've gotten big, a- big, <laughs> big news. We've gotten a glimpse into that adverse event reporting that's supposed to happen whenever you go to the hospital or doctor and go some food cause or pill supplement caused me problem. If it caused you problem, they report problem. And you say this is the first time we're getting a glimpse, but something tells me our Gilded Insider has been looking at this information for years. When it comes to the dietary supplement industry specifically, they advocated. They wanted to be part of the adverse event reporting system so they could know we have bad actors in our industry. We want to know when something goes wrong. Self-policing. You betcha. FDA. Now, I think this is a big move. In an effort to support transparency, FDA is for the first time publishing data on adverse events it receives related to cosmetics and foods, including dietary supplements. I just said all that. Great. It's, I downloaded it. It's yeah. an enormous spreadsheet. 65,000 plus entries. You combed the data. But they said they're going to start to release it more often and make it more user-friendly. Like, you put this thing online that you can comb through and search for stuff. I think that's a win for us. For the I, consumer or for this podcast? Both. Okay. But we'll see. We'll start to know, like... Well, yeah, look at this. Well, I've, I've highlighted a few, yeah. especially... <laughs> here, here, let me read them. You give me your response. Okay. I got some of the highlights. Just in the first... I don't know. I looked, I looked at, like, the first 500. We got uh, December of 20, 2003. A 10-year-old male experienced non-serious injuries, illness from eating Frito-Lay Funyun onion flavor onion rings. Mm-hmm. A little bit of choking. Choking. He's only 10? Uh-huh. According to my initial thought, he's like super stoned. He smoked way too many bong hits and he's got mad cotton mouth. And then, yeah, if choking. you're trying to eat Funyuns, it's going to turn you into a paste that's going to choke your little ass. We got a 51-year-old man. He took some Metabolite 356. That's a vitamin mineral supplement thing. And the result was death. He completed suicide, also exhibiting stress symptoms. And then another symptom here is death. So was he, he was just exhibiting the stress symptoms before he completed suicide, I take it? Critics of this are, are right to say that it's incomplete information. It doesn't really give you the causality. Like, well, Mm-mm. the dude committed suicide. Is it because he took the vitamin? Or, or was, or was it depression? Yeah. Or did he actually, or had he, you know, he bought the gun five days ago and just decided to take a supplement before he used it. <clears throat> Listerine strips. 33-year-old male. Life-threatening condition. Mm. Disability. I don't know what any of these words mean. Paresthesia, physical examination, hospitalization, palpitations, orthostatic... I think a physical examination is when they, they actually examine pain. your body. Chest pain, extrasystoles, dizziness, ventricular extrasystoles, systoles, systoles... So he's a ventriloquist dummy? Shit went wrong with those Listerine strips. No, you know what? My vet told me you could give those to dogs. If I got if I got noticeable chest pain directly from a Listerine strip, I think I'd be concerned. Mm-hmm. Like, what the hell was in this Listerine strip? You ever strip? give those to your dog, though? No. Can you do that? 
The vet said you could. Just to clean up their breath? Yeah. The thing is, like, the first time they're into it, and then they realize how insane they taste, and then it's kind of a struggle to get them to eat one. Uh, But if you can get it in their mouth, there's nothing they can do. It just, like, sticks to their tongue. You don't have have to, like, like, stick it to their teeth? (laughs) You just lifted their teeth right there. Uh, We got some skippy, skippy, squeeze it. Uh Uh-oh. Nuts. Mm -hmm. Unaged male, he visited the ER with malaise. <laughs> wasn't feeling well. I like that one. That sounds like a Chekhov story. Or like he visited the visited the ER with ennui. <laughs> oh, also some vomiting, hospitalization. Mm, okay. Subway chicken wrap sandwich. Seventeen-year-old mm. female, hypersensitivity, dyspnea, blood pressure decreased, emergency care, swelling face, arrhythmia, required intervention to prevent permanent, impermanent. Hmm? I don't know. So she went and got a perm. While eating a Subway sandwich, and it went south from there. Okay. I don't like this one. I don't like this one. Equate Walmart Diet Smart. Or maybe they just bought it at Walmart. Equate Diet Smart with EGCG 27 milligrams. That's mm. a supplement. We had a female vaginal hemorrhage. Oh, fuck. Uh, we got the Beacon Drive-In Diet Iced Tea. This is an uh, unaged female. Suffered from eructation. What does that mean, Mark? Burp. She burped. <laughs> and reported it? I guess it was bad enough to go see a doctor. It was a violent burp. Uh, it was one of those blood burps. It's good stuff in here. Shift. Move free. That's a glucosamine supplement. 39-year-old female. It altered her mood. She got angry. Huh? Sought professional help. From glucosamine, huh? You bet Isn't you. that just supposed to be good for your joints? It's supposed to be. You don't know what's in there. She, maybe Ta- she was doing a lot of squats. Tazo Chai. Well, who's this? Female... <laughs> I love these dependence, morose, personality change, paranoia, psychiatric evaluation, social avoidant behavior. It's called all, too much caffeine. All from that Tazo chai. Too much caffeine. Uh, and uh, maybe some bong rips with Funyuns Kid. Maybe that's not the uh, causality. Yeah, she had the fear. She was doing gravity bong hits with Funyuns Kid. A lot of appearances back in 2003 and four of Stacker 2 supplement. I'm guessing it. I don't know what it is, but a lot of people died. So it's just one. One guy. Uh, there, were, there were others. It's just All a right. sampling of what you can find in that lovely database. More to come, right? Adverse revenge. Adverse revenge. God. Adverse revenge. Yeah, I can give you more if you want. Not right now. No. Because I hear you're going to go on a ketogenic fast. Ooh. I'm not ready, but I'm I'm looking into this. <laughs> Ooh, I might. I want you. I'm, well, maybe you you might consider doing this. This could be a exercise. Doubt it. My fasting days are behind me. So here's the train of thought. We had, um, so our studio production, Get Bit, featuring Mark Bittman. Yep. We had Mr. Bittman appear on the Tim Ferriss podcast. Yeah, we organized that, didn't we? (laughs) I didn't say that. We, in listening to it, Tim, I, I knew this, Tim's into this keto stuff. He's into body optimizing, all sorts of nutrition hacks, blah, 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 blah. Um... I've been hearing about ketos, ketogenic diet. First time I heard about it, a friend, a friend of a friend, friend of well, a friend with a young child. No significant significant seizure problems in in their young child. Mm. And and as you dig into that, and the medicines are pretty intense, and if they don't work, it's like, well, you know what? This can kind of work. Oh, ketogenic diet. Yes. Which is basically, if I understand it correctly, you're getting about. 70 plus percent of your calories from fat 
Oof. Barely any. I think don't think there's really any carbs or sugars. Protein is is okay, but not like a lot of these diets are high protein now. This is like a high fat diet. And it, your body doesn't, you can't find the glucose to burn the glu- glucose. It starts burning these fats and whole different things go on. People lose their joint pain. That's why I'm doing it. So I looked I into this. I can't go on a fat diet with my cholesterol where it well, is. Well, it's, it's an issue, perhaps. There's healthy fats. Yeah, what's this whole thing about this guy's insane your... fast where he almost died from back pain? Well, so that's the key. <laughs> that's the ketogenic diet. I got to... <laughs> I'm going to look into that because when I am talking to people out in the industry... That's the Soundhawk swooping down on information. When he says he's going to look into it, that's what you should picture, is him swooping down from the sky <laughs> they, and grabbing that information with his steely talons and then picking it apart with his beak ravenously. There's like tendons... I tear that flesh. ...and flesh and blood squirting everywhere. That's your insider right there. Some of the brands I talk to in the food space... Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God, this sentence is already just reeking of asshole. <laughs> well, I softened it with the whole sound hawk visage. Uh, they're hearing from a lot of customers about ketos and ketogenic diet. And only, I think... Uh, only inside track, I, Mark. I, I think because it's the... There's a scientific basis, certainly with, with kids and seizures, but in other things as well. And people are, resp- people are moving away from processed and carbs and sugars to fats and proteins. So they're kind of like warmed up to it. And then you got people like Tim Ferriss and the Bulletproof guy, Dave Asprey, talking Dave it up. Asprey? Asprey. Like an osprey. Like an asprey. Like you, that's like the Soundhawk preying on that ass. So Tim Ferriss has this new book out. I'm going to, I need to just find the right page. <laughs> find the right page. Because I couldn't find the right page in the free Amazon preview. But he's doing these like three day fasts. Like a couple times a month, right? Well, he does them like every month. It's insane. Like he eats nothing or he just eats fat for three days? There's the thing. He doesn't eat nothing. He eats, here, I wrote some of this down. Chili right? cheese fries. No, he, uh, ha, ha, ha. Oh God, he's done some intense ones where he did like vitamin C IVs. Anyway, he like has, guess what he has in the morning? Bulletproof coffee. He gets himself some BCAAs in there, drinks them down. Some branch chain amino acids. I think we're doing a powder in water right there. And he'll do more of that if he has a workout. And then he'll also eat um, seaweed snacks. I love seaweed snacks. Just like a pack of those. So it's not nothing. It's not just water. But he works out. He has branch chain amino acids and seaweed snacks and works out. Dude, he's talking to these people who are like super intense nutrition scientists who go on. I think they'll have a little bit of fat, but they'll be on a seven day fast. And at the end of it, they'll be like, feel amazing and go deadlift 500 pounds. And then they don't have to do this whole reintroducing of the food. Like mm. they just eat whatever they want after that. I told you about the time I did the master cleanse. <laughs> Didn't well, sound one of the good. times. Did I tell you about the time when I ate Chinese food right after finishing it? <laughs> did I tell you that? I, all I remember is the race to the bathroom, the gurglings in the stomach. Oh no, that was when we did the oral enemas. When four housemates drank each a quart of salt water at the same time and then had to oral enemize, had to evacuate promptly thereafter no but when i did it this it was a i don't know i've done it two or three times a decade ago probably at least decades jesus um so you're not eating any any solids at all you're just having um he has tea i know he has tea. you're having water with maple syrup and uh lemon juice in it and then you can put cayenne pepper in that or just take the pills sure 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 
So then after seven days, seven or eight days of doing it, you're supposed to just start reintroducing food with broth. Yeah. Cabbage. And it was, I was working on the graveyard shift at the time and my boy, Sean, it was just me and Sean in this office all alone every night. And he knew about my fast and he was intrigued. And then he knew that it was ending. And so to welcome me back to the world of food, he brought in like some, some Chinese food, like these, they were good. They were like these Chinese pancakes from some place by his house. And he was like, they're the bomb dude. And I didn't want to be rude. Like he brought me the food. I thought it would be impolite not to eat it. Uh oh. But I was worried what might happen. But I ate it. This is the same guy who didn't. You didn't read his novel. I read some of Crooked Halos, <laughs> and it was good. You have a rudeness issue going with this guy. Go ahead. I do. No, I was a. And he's the. He was the nicest guy. He was so not, patient. Not that you were being rude. That you were sensitive to being rude with him. No, but I was kind of. I was in a dark place in my life and I would, I would show up late a lot. Sometimes I'd show up after going out to a concert and I'd be like kind of drunk and I'd just sleep on the floor for half my shift. Oh, I wasn't an, an exemplary employee back then, was but this, it was a graveyard shift job. I mean, it was is brutal. that this period of your life? No, it was before that. Oh, like probably at least five years before that. But anyway, I ate looks like a fun time. I ate the pancake. You and your baby sleeveless tea and cigarette. God. That's not a, that's a candy cigarette. I, uh, it is. I ate the pancake and then I had <laughs> to, not. I had to run to the bathroom. I'm telling you, I ate the pancake within five minutes. I had to go to the bathroom and it went right through me. My body didn't even digest it. Oh, my digestive system had been shut down effectively so that it just like slid right through me. Oh. It came out looking exactly as it had looked going in. So what do you think about that? Where does that, uh, if you don't have cancer and you do a therapeutic fast one to three times per year, you could purge any precancerous cells that may be living in your body. You got cancer cells in your body right now, buddy. So do you. How are you going to purge? So I do don't I. see how doing a fast is going to purge them from, say, your bone marrow. There is also evidence to suggest that fasts of three days or longer can effectively reboot your immune system via stem cell-based regeneration. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being a scientist here. Clearly. But who gives a shit? In a world of fake news, this goes for medicine, right? Yeah. All I'm saying is I'm going to dig deeper. Now, Tim Ferriss himself, this, yeah, this is the story you're talking about. So he got Lyme disease. I thought I had that once. <laughs> I've never thought I had that. I didn't think it's I surprising. had Surprising. I found a tick on me when I was in California, and I freaked out. One tick? I used to have ticks all the time growing up. I just didn't want to get Lyme disease. Maybe I do have Lyme disease. I think you have a lot of the symptoms. Or not? <laughs> I don't know. I did my first extended fast as a last resort. Lyme disease had decimated me and put me at 10% capacity for nearly nine months. My joints hurt so much that it took five to ten minutes to get out of bed. Yikes. Terrible. This is Tim? Tim. And my, now, in my short-term memory, this is from Tim's book, Worse into the, and him writing, point that I began to forget good friends' names. Adding, in, adding inputs, i.e. drugs, IV treatments, etc., didn't seem to help, so I decided to try removing all inputs. Good, good. Including food. I did my homework, found the best-reviewed fasting clinics in the U.S., and headed off. My first seven-day fast was excruciating. It was medically supervised at a clinic where we also had room and board. Patients were permitted to consume nothing but distilled water. You know who else did this? Ben Marcus. Do you know that author? Sounds familiar. Very experimental. Highly regarded. Hmm. He, he, had, he acquired some sort of strange autoimmune condition, I think sort of shooting pain in his arm that wouldn't go away, and fasting was the only thing that... He went hmm. to like a medically supervised fast. You know what happens when you fast? The most startling thing 
is you realize uh, how much time you spend eating and how, how that sops up a lot of what would be boredom because you really like you're sitting at home like, Oh, I can't go get lunch with a friend. Mm. I can't go get coffee. I can drink this gross maple syrup, spicy juice, but no one wants to drink it with me. You, we could go have you lunch end up with, with your a friend lot of and bring a, bring a carafe of spicy juice. It's true. You just, you, you realize like how much time uh, you'd spend eating hmm. and how much that distracts you throughout the day because hmm. You're, you're very, point. you're very hyper aware though. I remember by day four, yeah, by day four, you're not hungry anymore. It's the first three days where you're like really battling with hunger. And then all of a sudden you just, you're not hungry and you feel very light, almost as though you're full of helium. Patients were permitted to consume nothing but distilled water, tap water, toothpaste, and even bathing were advised against. No exercise of leaving the, or leaving the facility were permitted for liability reasons from days three to four. My lower back pain was so extreme that I remained on my bed in the fetal position. That sounds good. Sounds brushed out. The doctors told me this was toxins being released, which I didn't accept. Good for you, Tim. I insisted on blood testing instead, and the explanation for the lower back pain... What? What? the dog. He wants some food. I thought that was someone coming for me. It was simple. My kidneys were getting hammered by sky-high uric acid levels. It's the reaper dragging his sickle along the wall. I wasn't allowed to exercise, not even brisk walking, so it was taking forever to get into ketosis. Ketosis. My body was breaking down muscle. He lost 12 pounds of muscle. This was his first... Oh, yeah. On the morning of day seven, I woke up to blood spilling out of my mouth guard. I had been dreaming of strawberry shortcake and chewed the fucker so hard that my gums split open. Chewed what fucker? The mouth guard. Oh, I see. Wait, so this reading this made you want to try this? This was his first attempt at fasting which he thinks is ridiculous now. Well, I don't know if he thinks it's not. He's, he, he's he, onto a different style. This guy, this guy doesn't accept that as a failure and stop. He tinkers. He adjusts. He's a tinkerer. So now he's, and I got to get, I got to find a way to read the book or get the book. He's found a way to get into ketosis within like a day. And so then just two more days of fasting and he's done what he needs to do. And he's not, it's not a total fast, but he's just, he's just cleaning out all those precancerous cells, buddy. <laughs> Seems like a good idea. I think it's worth a try. Yeah, give it a go, Mark. I'm going to give it a try. Can't wait. I'm going to tell you all about it. I'm also thinking about adopting more of this style diet. Just a lot of a lot of healthy fats. All right. But I might want to do some blood work before and then after, like That'd six months in, to see, if, to see if I'm about to... Because you have a high cholesterol already. High-ish. It's not, the only high marker I've ever gotten is, oh God, APOE, some weird fraction that they don't really test through conventional medicine. I did it through a project we were doing at work. Through an insider's excursion. Wellness FX. I got a, a, a deeper diagnostic panel. Mm. And I was like, and out of all of it, you know, they color coded it. And one thing went red and it was this weird cholesterol fraction, which I then brought up with my doctor at one point. He's like, I don't know what to do with that. Like, like, of course heard, you I've don't. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, of course you yeah, don't. Western doctor. TBD. I'm exploring ket- ketos, ketogenic diet. And a quick hit fast. I am on the edge of my seat. I, I don't know. I need to feel better. So, um, Ugh, I'm just thinking of the of article the we got coming up after the interlude. You'll see why I need to feel better. Oh, okay. We got the Natch Book Club here. Book Club before the interlude? Yeah. That's how it always Let's do the book been. club. Then we'll do the interlude. Yeah. Uh, the Year of Magical Thinking, Joni Didion. We are finishing the book. 
we on this it. episode. Yeah. Uh, so this is the story of her year of magical thinking, which is the form her grieving and mourning took after the death of her husband, John Gregory Dunn, simultaneous with the grave illness of her daughter, Quintana Roo. Well done. That's a pro right there. You did a great job. I think we ought to do this as like its own podcast. You never know. Just you setting up books. So this book's been a little difficult. It's, been, it's, only because it's a it's, tough time to read a book like this. Yeah, it's, it's very grim. But you know what? It kind of fits because... It does fit. I feel like I'm in mourning of the... The America that once was? That kind of thing that just died. or That you can no longer give your children? No, I have to give them this weird, tarnished... Fallen world that has fallen further. Quite a bit further. Mm, I did well there. A lot of Fs. And I went with further instead of farther. Pro move. Um, the book comes together at the end, though. It's nice. She kind of like, she comes like, because I feel like so much of this book is her going on these little memory spirals of right. all the things that remind her of specific things that she wish she could still ask him. And right. It's well, a lot to take. But. That's what she does. The, yeah, I, don't, I didn't take detailed notes since we read a lot of pages to finish this up. Because yeah, you didn't read it. No, I read it. I read all of it. All of it. I've got a detailed note. I did, well, the book is, is itself a chronicle of the one year after her husband's death, which she predominantly spends sort of connecting dots back to the moment he died. This happened three days before he died. This happened five days after. After you get past that year mark, there's a little bit of a letting go of that, right? Like... One year ago from the 366 days after his death, he was still dead. He wasn't alive. So there's less yeah. of that trying to connect back to it. And she does that thing, too, where she's like thinking back to before he died. And she's like, oh, yeah, at that point, when he wrote this in his journal, he had 48 hours to live. She knows a lot of that. So I got on page 195 here. She, she talks grieves. about uh, C.S. Lewis, oh. who was writing after the death of his wife. It comes from the frustration of so many impulses that had become habitual. Thought after thought, feeling after feeling, action after action had H for their object. H, I'm guessing, is his wife, Helen, Henrietta. Oh, right. Uh, now their target is gone. I keep on through habit, fitting an arrow to the string, then I don't remember and have to lay, to lay the bow down. So many roads lead through H, lead, lead, Sorry, so many roads lead thought to H. I set out on, on one of them, but now there's impassable frontier post across it. So many roads once, this is the best line here. So many roads once, now so many cul-de-sacs. Mm. They don't lead anywhere anymore. Because mm. the person's all dead. And stuff. <laughs> well said. Yeah, here's that part. All year I've been keeping time by last year's calendar. What we were doing on this day last year. Where did we have dinner? Is it the day a year ago we flew to Honolulu after Quintana's wedding? Is it the day a year ago we flew back from Paris? Is it the day? I realized today, for the first time, that my memory of this day a year ago is a memory that does not involve John. This day a year ago was December 31st, 2003. John did not see this day a year ago. John was dead. She just drops the hammer whenever she wants. She does. She's, I think she's very sad. She spends a lot of time meditating book. on, on uh, what it means to be married and to be part of a marriage. She has oh, this thought. Nice. We imagined we knew everything the other thought, even when we did not necessarily want to know it. But in fact, I have come to see we knew not the smallest fraction of what there was to know. Just the impossible depths of an individual, Mark. Whoa, just so deep. Yeah. Speaking of deep, do you remember this? Uh, this is right at the end, isn't it? Yeah. Well, close. The um, 
the so she opens with this this piece from her novel Democracy about a grand she's a grandchild of a geologist. Democracy is a name that John gave the book. Mm-hmm. But then she does this. She's is she imagining the tsunami? I think so. She sat here. I'm I'm unable to stop trying to imagine this event. Ah, yes, here we go. Uh, When I finished, John read it and said I should call it democracy. Uh, I looked up the passage after the 9.0 Richter earthquake along a 600-mile section of the Sumatran subduction zone had triggered the tsunami that wiped out large parts of coastline bordering the Indian Ocean. I'm unable to stop trying to imagine this event. There's she goes no, granular on that too. She I wants to this. see like under the water the tectonic plate shift. There is imagine there is no video of what I try to imagine. There are no beaches, no flooded swimming pools, no hotel lobbies breaking up like rotted pilings in a storm. What I want to see happened under the surface. This is like her husband's heart. She, yeah, she wants to see his heart fail. The India plate buckling as it thrust under the Burma plate. The current sweeping unseen through the deep water. Ooh. I do not have a depth chart for the Indian Ocean, but can pick up the broad outline, even from my Rand McNally cardboard globe. She's detailed. 780 miles off Banda As. As. Ace. Bachi ball? 2300 between Sumatra and Sri Lanka. This isn't the part. Yes, here it is. 2100 between the end and... The instant when the leading edge of the unseen current got slowed by the continental shelf, the buildup of water as the bottom of the shelf began to swallow out. All that's happening under the water. Under the surface. It's the shelf and it backs up and then it just releases in the big... It's not subterranean. (laughs) It's happening submarine. Wouldn't that that mean underwater? Can you do the rest of the book club in your Michael Caine accent? You're already supposed to take the bloody aspirin. Let's talk about... Well, there's this part. <laughs> Let's talk about the very end. Well, here, hold on real quick. Line. So there's uh, on 206 here. I don't really need to read this passage, but she's kind of going through all the different things that she feels like maybe she could have done differently to save him. Like, should he have been taking aspirin, even right. though he was on an oh, anticoagulant? And she keeps reading all these studies. Because she keeps, sees the, the commercials on late at night. Yeah. Well, she just keeps wondering if there, if there was something she could have done to save him. And it reminded me... If we can take it back to my screenplay that was based on real life experience. Sweet nothings. When my friend Rebecca, after she died from, uh, uh, essentially she died from chemotherapy, but um, I remember at her house, I was with her family and I don't remember how it came up, but they had found out about some clinic in Ireland that treated her kind of cancer with a really high success rate and it was completely holistic. Oh boy. And they just went... Um, but they kind of, there was like a, a moment of tailspin where everyone was just despondent. Should have, could have, would have. Because, yeah, because, you know, normally I think they give someone six rounds of chemotherapy. Her oncologist, for whatever reason, wanted to give her eight to like make sure that cancer never came back because she'd already been in this horrible <laughs> motorcycle accident. And so. That's not going to. It was what? brutal. That's it, not a good idea. No. If I had, if only I hadn't been 22 at the That's time. That's not what's going to make it come back. No, he wanted to completely eradicate it, but instead he oh, basically killed her. compromised her immune system to the point where she got pneumonia. So we were all like just freaking out, like shit. Should we have just sent her to Ireland? Probably would have cost about the same. So that kind of shit happens, man. You're telling me that happens when you've got a problem that doesn't fix itself. That well, no, I I'm saying freaking... I'd empathize. Just like me too. All, all the different things we could have done differently. Different, different, different. Me too. But then she says it. What does she say? 
She, she says that very well. Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, oh, she brings man. up this thing, too, about keeping... As I recall, this is... this. I realize... As I recall this, I realize how open we are to the persistent message that we can avert death. But we can't. Not Fuck. even when you're in a well, state she, of... That's you saying that. Ultimate ketosis. Only after I read the aut- autopsy report did I be... What? <laughs> Permanent state of ketosis? Oh, then I never die. Death, man. Never die. I'd be in the fetal position. Why would you want to? Who wants to live forever? Not me. Did I begin to believe what I had been repeatedly told? Nothing here I had done or not done had either caused or could have prevented his death. He had an inherited. He had inherited a bad heart. It would eventually kill him. The date on which it would kill him had already been, by many medical interventions, postponed. She, she gets it. That's a breakthrough right there. That's yeah. coming out of the magic. So there's one other thing, too. The, the, the book ends this the way. the last line. That last line's very... Uh, just the last line? or Well, especially the last line, but the, the very end is... Um, it gets a little bit lyrical, not too, too lyrical, in a book that's sort of... I mean, do you need this whole paragraph to set it up? Sure, sure. I think about swimming with him into the cave at Portuguese Bend, about the swell of clear water, the way it changed, the swiftness and power it gained as it narrowed through the rocks at the base of the point. The tide had to be just right. We had to be in the water at the very moment the tide was right. We could only have done this a half dozen times at most during the two years we lived there, but it is what I remember. Each time we did it, I was afraid of missing the swell, hanging back, timing it wrong. John never was. You had to feel the swell change. You had to go with the change. He told me that. No eye is on the sparrow, but he did tell me that. Okay, you read that pretty well. Fuck yeah, I did. So that eye on the sparrow thing, doesn't she mention that in another point too? Well, there's one other, yeah, toward the end as What's well. What's the significance of that? You don't know? I can't totally remember, but... I think it's an old hymn. I think it is too. About God being attentive to every small thing, even the sparrow. Meaning the eye oh, is okay. on the sparrow. But then she says there's no eye on the sparrow. I think that's a pretty clear to me. Well, so around that time... I know God organizing this for all of us and making it all okay. That picture that you went back to... So there's no God, but there is John saying, you got to go for it, I guess. Go for it. Live your fucking life, right? Yeah. What I was going to tell you, though, is you were looking at that picture of me in that micro tank top. (laughs) When am I not? I know. That's when I was living in Chicago, and about that time, I was... Screensaver. I had a job driving a bus for a senior citizen center. Yes, you did. Discussed it before on this podcast. But, yes, uh, you have. There was this guy, George, who I used to drive around. I've seen pictures of George. No, you haven't seen pictures of George. I don't have any pictures of George. Who, do I, who, who have I seen a picture you of? I saw a picture of Walter, one-eyed Walter. Right. I know. I'm just trying to heal. <laughs> George talked more like, oh, he kind of talked like this. And he'd always tell me, you tell, you tell your wife. She's got that star quality. And you, you <laughs> told her, I tell you, tell her, I told you so. Oh, That's kind of how he was. And he was hilarious. He was a card and he would like, he would do things like, you know, usually I would p- take people home in the order I picked them up. So in the morning I'd pick up George first. So that meant he got dropped off first on the way back, but he'd get on the bus and be like, Oh, you know what? Why don't you take everyone else home first today? And everyone else would be like, yeah, yeah. And then I'd take everyone else home. Then I'd be driving him and it'd be just, he and I'd be like, um, could you stop by the pharmacy? <laughs> so I'd take him to the pharmacy and wait while he went and got his prescription. Uh. And he was an adorable dude. And he'd, he'd been a Bowery bum, Skid Row drunk. Whoa. Had a pretty hard life. He, uh, he had this cat that he, in his room. He lived in this high rise. 
And he usually would put on boxing gloves to play with the cat because the cat liked to scratch. But this one day he forgot to, and he got a nasty cat scratch, became infected. Ooh. Uh, like that basically killed him, that infection. So that is unlike the John story. Well, oh, the dog just really wants some food. I thought someone Stop was about, it, Bowie. about to laugh. No, but uh, the reason I bring it up is he gave me a Christmas card one time. That's why they gave Georgia the antibiotics in her dog attack. So she didn't have a heart. No, really? so that a wound didn't get infected from some whatever's in those animals. Well, cat claws are especially nasty, right? They've been mm. digging around on their own shit. Yeah. But the reason I bring George up is he gave me a Christmas card once, and on the inside, all he had written was, keep your eye on the sparrow. Ooh. Yeah. That means the small things. I think so. I didn't totally know what it meant when I asked him. He didn't really give me much of an answer. Hmm. But I actually scanned that. Because hmm. I at one point thought like I would it would be I would like to get that tattoo. I want that picture. in his handwriting. Oh, on my lower back. <laughs> I don't know where. <laughs> you should get a nice little text. Yeah. So, anyway, I'd like to see you get that one. Let's go all, get let's that all one. Keep our eye on the sparrow. Everyone. That's such a that's such a crazy last line. No eye is on the sparrow, but he did tell me that. Whew. What did he tell her? You had to feel the swell change. You had to go with the change. Go with the change. She's got to move on. That's ultimately what she has to do, and he he told her that in life. But but he, but he didn't know then. Remember, he was saying like, "You need to get married within a year after I die. You need to surround yourself. Keep this big apartment. Yeah. Don't give up. All sorts of prescriptions. Not but not drugs. No, no for for good living. But hey, dude, it's a good book. This is a this is an amazing piece of work. I wish I wish that I had known. These are some hip cats back in the day. Totally. I don't, yeah. To me, it's like, I know Joan and Didion as an old, frail woman. No, what if we'd was, known her as a young, hip cat? Yeah, she was a gorgeous lady. Still is. So we might split this book, the next book. Oh, I want to tell you this, though. We're, we're taking a trip in March to Mexico. We're going to Tulum. I'm looking at Google Maps, trying to figure out, like, where we would stay. I go a little further up the coast. There's an area called Quintana Roo. Oh, there you go. Yeah, I, think I knew that's that. That's where they would vacation, right? And that's why they named her that. I think I knew that. I think I've been there. You going to do like an all inclusive thing? We, we we were like trying our best to like stay at like kind of a. Yeah, it's not going to happen. No. Well, I mean, we were looking at some, but there was this one that was gorgeous. I mean, they had dream catchers hanging above the beds. It was very eco friendly and small and artisan. Let me use that word again. And? It was way too expensive. And that. Right. I, and then I looked at the dreams to loom, the all inclusive <laughs> place. And I'm like, for like $2,000 less than it would be to stay at this other place. We can stay here and get all of our food included and get a room with a swim up channel. Like a, the pool has a channel that leads right up to your room. So you can just go from your room straight into this water and swim to the pool. Whoa. Sorry, that's artisan. Pretty, that's like, pretty fun. Yeah. And they have childcare. I can't and wait yoga to yoga classes and shit. Yeah, I can't wait to. And they refill your mini bar every night. I'm oh fucking. God. I'm gonna bring a bunch of books. I'm gonna sit on the beach because the kids can now like play with like out without total supervision. Can, can they swim? Sit. Can they both swim? Uh, they can both. Elias can do the the individual medley. He can freestyle, backstroke, breaststroke, and yeah. But what about butterfly? Ari? I bet he's a. I bet he could beat you in the pool. He is fast. <laughs> What about Ari? Ari can do an amazing freestyle, a really good backstroke. Oh, then you're fine. His butterfly is coming together. His breaststroke, still working on okay, it. Okay, that's fine. That's... You asked. 
So I think we should we might sp- split the book club off into its, its it own might show. Splinter off. Into we might its own. do that. Carve that segment off. But I, we had to decide what we're going to read too. We got two mm-hmm. contenders. Both of these are your picks. It is my pick. It's my oh, turn, right? I picked that. You picked this. Oh damn! Hey, it was a good pick. It was a great book, but well, we can't. That's why I'm, I'm with you. I'm kind of leaning against the meditative. Maybe we just need something fun. Well, Being Peace by Thich Nhat Hanh. These are both books that I've read. Being Peace by Thich Nhat Hanh is just a great book. But that's probably small, right? Um, it's probably like 100 pages. Yeah, it's not very long. Yeah, that might be a good idea. But we're not going to do that one. Because I went to, I, I decided I'm going to buy a book. So I went to Tattered Cover. I looked for Being Peace. They didn't have it. Do they have another one of those? No. Oh. They can order one in. The, the 20th anniversary edition just came out of Please Kill Me. The Uncensored Oral History of Punk. Ooh, just the tip. By Legs McNeil and Jillian McCain. This is up his alley? Or he already reviewed it? No, we talked about it on the podcast, and then I think he said he bought a copy because he wanted to read it. I thought he'd already reviewed it. He might have. Let us know, just the tip. But this is a great book, and here's why... We're going to assume just the tip picks that book. If somebody else has a better suggestion, let us know. But here's why I'm picking this, okay? Do you want to know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Because there is, like, sort of a silver lining to this insanity that's happening in the world right now. The Trump presidency. Yes. We're going to get some great fucking art out of it, man. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We finally have a reason to... Yeah, something to buck against. Did you see that tweet from uh, Spoon? That was a funny tweet. What was that? Yeah, that was a good tweet. I'll find it real quick and read it to you. Before but, you um, set up the interlude. But yeah, please kill me. Oral history of punk. Uncensored oral history of punk. I've read it before. It's amazing. That's going to prime us. It's going to prime us for a, an era of... Great music. That's the next book. All right, you've decided. And we also are going to, speaking of great music, we've got an interlude here. The song is called I Want I Want to Make You Bread Ooh. by Free Cake for Every uh, Free Cake for Every Creature. Some and nice lo-fi. When we come back, Garage Punk. Food news eventually. And right before the break, Spoon tweeting, up in response to Trump picking Scott Pruitt, an ally of the fossil fuel industry, to lead EPA. Up next, Donald Trump appoints the kid who called you art fag in high school to head up the NEA. So good. Wanna make you proud you want a cake and stuff on an idiot sweater. You can wear it on your head, gonna make you mad. But checkers all the time, it looks bellish, but look at it. Wanna be a high-heaven pilot Wanna put my picture in your wallet Wanna sit with you and eat chocolate watching we are watching that's us we're watching penzi's this is the food news eventually segment sector sector this is sector food news penzi spences condemns trump attracts rage by dan nosowitz modern farmer recurring segment in a post-trump america yeah 
pre-Trump America, soon to be a post-Trump, soon to be a mid-Trump America, then a post-Trump America. And then scorched earth. What's going on? What's the, what's the repercussion? <laughs> You're nailing this one. You want me to read this? How, how, how are we, how, <laughs> how are we making it through? This past Tuesday, the current head of the company, Bill Penzi Jr., sent out a newsletter. It's attracting a surprising, look at this softball language, a surprising amount of negative attention from conservative bloggers, writers, and Facebook commenters. Oh, what? Like death threats? All right. So he sent out a big newsletter and then got some. You want to read the newsletter? Well, I'm going to read, I'm going to read something else. I'm going to read his follow-up to the newsletter that he posted on Facebook. Oh, okay. For the rest of you, you just voted for an openly racist candidate for the presidency of the United States of America. In your defense, most of you did so without thinking of the consequences of your candidate's racism, because for most of you, the heartbreaking destruction racism causes has never been anything you or your loved ones have had to experience. But the thing is, elections have their consequences. This is no longer 60 years ago. Whether any of us like it or not, for the next four years, the 80% of this country who did not just vote for an openly racist candidate are going to treat you like you are the kind of person who would vote for an openly racist candidate. A little bit of real talk in there. Yeah, that's R. Kelly style right there. That's a lot of real talk. This gentleman has a history of activism. You're going to love this one. He has previously railed against a bill that sought to make it harder for schools with racist American Indian mascots to change their names. Wait, schools or National Football League teams? Schools. Different okay. podcast. So, you know, people boycott, hate, 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 boycott, boycott, hate, hate, hate. But in an interesting twist to this one. Real quick, I'd like to see the overlap on that Venn diagram of Trump voters and exotic spice users. Is their bottom it. line going to take a hit on this? I've got it. I'll show you. I'll put it in the doc. Um, that's the heart of the story, but in an aside, an interesting twist. It, becomes some, it became some of a family affair when another spice shop mm. jumped into the fray. The Spice House, based mostly in Illinois. <laughs> okay. Based mostly? <laughs> mostly. How big is this house? Is it a house that stretches across the border? <laughs> is run by husband and wife duo Tom and Patty Erd. Is it possible the Spice House is in the Quad Cities? Patty and stretches across four states? It's most of it's in Illinois, but some of it oh, is... In the four corners. In, uh, wait, not, no, the Quad Cities, sorry. Yeah, different. Yeah, but similar. Oh, no, that's four cities all around the... Never mind. I know what you're saying. Patty happens to be the sister of Bill Penzi Jr. Trippy. In their own Facebook message, Patty, his sister, declared, My husband and I are very careful to never bring politics or personal opinions into our spice company. They have no business there. Keep the spice pure. Capitalizing on any rage at Penzi's, the Spice House is offering discounts with the code NOPOLITICS. That's just <laughs> your classic <sister>. Patty. <laughs> Isn't that just like Patty? Parenthetical close here. The strategy appears to have backfired. Many of the comments on the Spice House's Facebook page are declarations of anger at the company for refusing to condemn Trump. Again, it's I want to see that. It's a divided that, America. I want that Venn diagram. The are, spices are divided. Are spice users more pro-Trump or uh, anti-Trump? Some of the most important spice families in America are at each other's, other's throats over this. When does the healing begin? I thought spices could bring us together, but they're tearing us apart. No. Why don't you uh, bring the show up a notch, Mark, this with the, this This next... is the worst story ever. Why do you put the worst stories in here? Why don't you try putting the best story for a change? This one's so sad to me. 
You just put it in here because it's about... A group of middle-aged whites in the U.S. is dying at a startling rate. <laughs> that kind of sounds like good news to me. So you've probably heard some of this, uh, I think for the first time in several generations, our overall life expectancy has declined in America. Because uh, we poison ourselves with the... Meaning your kids will have, uh, are more likely to die before you will die. I mean, no, 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 no. Meaning your kids will not live as long on average as you will live. Eh. That's the, that's the trend right now. It could change, but. Well, um, I think it's from house to house. I think a lot of it's probably diet based. Oh, dude. Or is this story? This is overall, overall. These aren't like illnesses, chronic illnesses brought on by poor eating habits. Most of them. Well, (laughs) overall, do you think we're eating better or worse? Oh, this. What is this? A little sugar bomb? <laughs> yeah. It's a cough drop. It's medicine. Uh, so for decades, life expectancy in America has been rising, as in most of the developed world, meaning you would live longer than your parents will live. Uh, and dude, I'm going to get uploaded to the cloud. I don't know about you. All right, well, anyway. My consciousness will go on podcasting you of, forever. You could think of this as a subset of that trend. That's been in the news lately. But this is um, more alarming to some of us. Great. The mortality rate for white men and women ages 45 to 54, just around the corner, Pat Riot, with less than a college education, Pat Riot, nah, increased, increased markedly between 1999 and 2013, most likely because of problems with legal and Ill- illegal drugs, alcohol, and suicide, the researchers concluded. Why don't you put that into a wrapper? Before then, I'm going to put up here my gum. Ugh. Before then, death rates for that group dropped steadily and at a faster pace. An increase in the mortality rate for any large demographic group in an, in an advanced nation has been virtually unheard of in recent decades, with the exception of Russian men after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So it's all tied to depression. Oh, but wait. There's more. So just to give you a sense of it, half a million people are dead who should not be dead. This is Angus Deaton, the 2015 Nobel Laureate in Economics. He co-authored the paper with his wife, Anne Case. Anne and Angus. That half a million people, that's about 40 times the Ebola stats. You're getting up there with HIV AIDS. What is going on, Josh? And here's the chart. Look, see this chart? Fascinating chart. Where's wow. average on that chart? <laughs> that's a special store that only you can shop at <laughs> for... Uh, for the, 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 the price of groceries at average, it's not too high, not too low. It's right in the middle. <laughs> I'm looking at a chart, deaths per 100,000 people from 1990 to 20, well, you know, going back 20 plus years. Real quick. Oh, uh, all those things. This is a food news section of the podcast. Like, what is this shit? Where, where are you digging this shit up? Oh, yeah. Is there any food in this one? I think I there is. No, You can't eat food if you're dead, I guess. That's the correlation. There here. might be a food angle. Um, well, of course, there's a food angle. Look at them all going down. France, down. God, France going down from 470 to 320. Germany, way down. What's USW? He asks, expecting to be mocked. USW? The, one, the only one that's not going down. Oh, that's us. Us Weekly? <laughs> what the hell is USW? That's United States Whites, I think, is what that is. No, Look at be. United States Hispanics in uh, that dark blue. That's going way down. Well, this, this graph runs contrary to what your alarmist headline is to this, that a bunch of white people are dying. No, that's the line going up. USW. 
Oh, the deaths are climbing. Yeah, we've gone up. Oh, I see. All these but, other people are not But dying. no, look. See, we were going down from 1990 to almost 2000. And then, boop, now it's going up. If you think I'm going to take time to figure out how to read a graph, you're wrong. Monday's bleak findings could... Bleak findings. Findings could have far-reaching implications as the surviving members of this sizable segment of the population, which are our brethren. I mean, maybe we're college-educated, but it's our brethren. Mm. Or maybe it's Trump America. I don't know. Um... Continue toward retirement and eligibility from eligibility f- sorghums for Medicare, a sicker population that has been less able to prepare for the costs associated with old age will place an increasing burden on society and federal programs. Quote, this is the first indicator that the plane has crashed, said Jonathan Skinner. <laughs> what, that people don't have enough money to live to be old? So no. we're dying because we don't have enough money to take care of ourselves? No, no, no. This story, that, this is all over the place. No, you're not. The fact that we are, that this group is dying in escalating numbers yeah. is going to create a dramatic burden on society and the economy as they, even the ones who don't die. Well, what if they're dying, then they're, they're not costing us money, right? They're not in good shape. Oh, I see. So they're, they're costing us much money up until they die. Yes. Cause they're unhealthy as shit. So from a broad macroeconomic perspective, I think this is the first indicator that the plane has crashed. I so, don't know what's going on, but the plane has definitely crashed. That's Jonathan Skinner, Dartmouth college reviewed the study, blah, blah, blah. Now, Good news for African Americans and Hispanics. It's not happening to them. Good. It's just these whites. Good. That's a nice little case. Un, un, um, typically, socioeconomic circumstances gang up on African Americans who have lower education, lower incomes, and race all working against them. It's, in this case, that's not happening. All right. So, why is it happening? Why is it happening? Does this article ever that? Or? Weir said economic insecurity, the decay of communities, and the breakdown of families probably have had some impact on death and illness rates. Well, the, uh, the immediate examples are legal and illegal drug abuse, Depression. suicide, and something. What was the other one? It's so it's there. basically people being lonely. We're all dying of loneliness. Alcohol and suicide. Loneliness. <laughs> You'd think. No, I know. Almost. Um, Opioid de- epidemic, the, isn't it? The de- part of it. The decay of communities and the breakdown of families, some impact. In addition to the nation's opioid epidemic and the factors the authors identified, but the study clearly shows they are not the result of diseases such as lung cancer or diabetes, which are declining and increasing, declining and increasing slowly. Oh, di- diabetes is increasing slowly. So it ain't the food. Huh? Oh. You can eat whatever the fuck you want, just like Munchie said. Oh, just don't be sad about it. I think it has something to do with the pain underlying it, both physical and psychic. This, that is the age when people have their midlife crisis. Oh, but now that people can't afford that red convertible anymore, they're just getting despondent and slipping into ill health and then dying. I think it has to do with that stage of life, and physical ailments do start to accumulate at that age. Pain in the ass. Deaton and Case authored a paper in June that found reports of physical pain are strongly predictive of suicide in many contexts, and that reports of pain are increasing among middle-aged Americans. Uh, (laughs) Why? Why is this in here? Why is that true? Why couldn't you find a fucking food news, a piece of food news? I want to know why that... This is grim bullshit. (laughs) I'm going to end on a positive note. Oh, I'll bet. Just last week, researchers reported that the U.S. death rate for all causes, see, I got excited and said all causes. Way to lean back. Declined 43%. 
between 1969 and 2013. The rate of death caused by strokes, heart disease, and cancer all declined significantly. The only problem we have is if you're white, middle-aged, and in pain. And if you have any joint pain, and you're white, and you're middle-aged... So you, you, and you? <laughs> and to some degree, me, me, and me. Okay. I don't know. I don't find this I, I think, article all that alarming. I think it's... I think when you get... When life hits you, when life lays you low with a back pain attack... I've had that. You need your college education to get up off the ground. Yeah, that'll help. Put in perspective. Otherwise... Actually, wait, that's very arrogant. Yeah, you said... You, you need a college education to figure out, like, why you're sad? Come on. I think to have prospects of recovery. If you've, like, injured yourself and you're in pain and you have no chance only of working a, Only again, a Williams man's going to know, like, it'll all turn out okay. And you can't, and you can't work. And then you've it. got the economic uncertainty of all of it. And then you've got no community to lean on. Death spiral. I'll just return to my thesis. Fucking death spiral. All right. Great, uh, great job. All right. I'm out of here. Next, next time, let's remember. Second half of the show, food news I eventually. I don't know what happened there. I got excited about that. You saw death. You're like, ooh, people just like me are dying. I must know more. It's that Joan Dinian problem. No, this is like classic Mark Brush. It's like Mark Brush clickbait. He's like, oh, wait. <laughs> People with joint pain are dying. <laughs> what? what? Yeah. It's 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 like a pharmaceutical ad on TV late at night. I got sucked into it. It's my own personal Didion Vortex. It is. All right, bring us home. All right, so one more. Uh, wait a minute. Oh, okay. Housekeeping. What? We should tell the people. What? That we're gonna. The show's coming out on Monday now, but on I Friday we already did. We did talked we? about in the face, dude. That was. Did we say the I schedule? I know some time has elapsed, but. I cannot look at you with those glasses. You're I'm not a, sure that a was a, it's something. Uh, I think we did mention that, yes, um, Natch now comes out on Mondays. In look, the Face, what, yeah. our football podcast, that comes out on a Thursday. Hey, just what would we do if we did a book club? Put that on like a Wednesday? A Wednesday. Oh, look at hey, that. there's a nice bit of balance for your week. Cut. So there's this new biography out called The Man Who Ate the Zoo. That sounds like food. It's written by Richard Gerling. And it is a, a biography of nutty naturalist Frank Buckland. This guy's a surgeon, zoologist, and a pioneering fish farmer. And according to the article Earwigs and Rotten Panther, the Diet of a Victorian Eccentric by Stephanie Payne, the <gasps> new scientist, this is her, uh, it's her favorite book right now. She's, she's fucking loving it. What gives him the edge is that for all his wacky ways... He was tireless in his search for knowledge about the natural world and for the best of reasons. Buckland wanted to find better sources of food to feed the poor, and he became a tireless champion of fish. Fish. He never made the grade academically. Not a Williams man, Mark. Don't hold that against him. Yet became a respected expert, sellout speaker, and hugely popular writer. So this, this guy was many things. As I mentioned, he's a zoologist, a surgeon, and a pioneering fish farmer, but he also had some pretty out there eating habits. Um, Sounds like he's a sort of a self-made man, like a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah, he would. And he loved to like, I think he got a job at a zoo at one point and he like, liked to go to zoos and uh, eat like the rotting panther thing was like, he found out the zoo had a dead panther and he hadn't eaten panther. He wanted to taste panther. So they exhumed the panther, and he cut a piece of loin meat and ate it, and didn't enjoy it. 
Raw? I, I think he cooked it. Yeah, look at this guy. Well, I, if I knew, uh, I wish I knew how to do a Michael Caine impression. Give me one line. Here's, I can tell you how to do a Michael Caine impression. You plug your nose and you say, my cocaine. Watch. My cocaine. My cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> my cocaine. My cocaine. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Blow the bloody doors off. That's too cockney. Only supposed to blow the bloody dolls off. She was only 16 years old. Who, sir? Are you, sir? Who, sir? Are you, sir? Is some people gonna die, sir? (laughs) Is that pepper rocket, sir? Throughout his life, Buckland observed, dissected, and tasted. Secondhand facts weren't good enough. He had to find out for himself. There was nothing he wouldn't taste. Roasted field mice made, quote, a splendid bone bouche for a hungry boy. Excuse me? A splendid bone bouche. (laughs) I mean, good bush? means a good bite. Oh. Bush is mouth. Oh, bush. Ferme la bouche. Yeah, bush. Shut your bon, mouth. Bon bouche. No, no, no. Seriously, ferme la bouche. Trying to read here. Boa constrictor tasted like veal. Kangaroos were an ideal source of good meat, and their long tails better Ugh. than oxtail. But earwigs Ugh. were horribly bitter. Are those those little bugs that crawl in your ear? They don't actually crawl in your ear, but... Decomposing Panther wasn't a huge success early either. So here we go. Hearing that uh, the Panther at a friend's zoo had died, quote, I wrote at once to tell him to send me down some chops. It had, however, been buried a couple days, but I got them to dig it up. It was not very good. <laughs> well, at least he did that for us. Now we know. I love it. I wonder if earwigs are part of the uh, insect protein trend. I don't can, we, know. can we grind them up and borrow? I think people are still recovering from Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. That's what I'm clearly recovering from. Poorly, uh, as a white male in my midlife that's, pain crisis. That's the secret. Now, maybe that's what it really is. It's earwigs crawling into our ears at night. But earwigs have a, t- a taste for depressed white male flesh. Why would we all be experiencing more pain than prior generations? Is that nutrition? I think it's because is there a deficiency in our diet which allows that doesn't allow us to overcome? Pain? I know what it is. Would you like to hear? Very much. It's the onslaught of information. We have so much more information available to us about all the pain and despair going on throughout the world. You're talking about a psychic pain, a mental pain. What about a a mental pain that manifests and has physical manifestations? Yeah. That's where your depression comes from. Mm. Everything seems so bleak. Mm. Because you know what? The world was just as fucked like back in, uh, what's this, Buckland's day. But you just didn't hear about all of it. You yeah. didn't hear about all these atrocities happening every hour around the globe. You know? It didn't feel so close. Or if you did hear about it, it was like months after it happened. But hmm. now it's like instant, instant, uh, I wouldn't say gratification because it's not very gratifying. But there's an instant and never-ending supply of doom and gloom. Hmm. Things to be afraid of. And they feed on your fear, Mark. Don't be afraid. Don't let them win. Buckland founded the UK's I would have, we could end it right there. Acclimatization Society to identify and introduce new food crops and animals, but he quickly concluded that the best way to feed protein-starved families was to ensure a dependable supply of fish. This guy's a fish farmer. Fuck Aqua yeah, listen culture. to this. He developed techniques for hatching fish eggs, hoping nice. to restock depleted rivers. He spelled out why so few rivers supported salmon. Most were filthy. Damn, Buckland. Manufacturers of all kinds of materials seem to think that rivers are convenient channels kindly given to them by nature to carry away the refuse of their works. Fuck no, that is not what a river is for. Buckland knew it. You know it. I know it. Natch 93. Dying depressed white people know it. 
They know too much of it because there's too much to know. But here's what you need to know. It's going to be okay. Why? Because who gives a fuck if it's not? What's going to happen if it's not? Might as well pretend it's going to be okay. You want to just sit around and fret and worry and convince yourself that it's not going to be okay? That's not good for you. Be an ignorant optimist. I don't care. Just find a way. Carry on. That's a hell of a... That's a, that's a way to go out. That's what I'm talking about. Good job, man. That's what... Uplift. That's what I needed from L.A. Salami at the end of that last podcast. I was channeling him there. Yeah, well... Him and Michael Caine. I was only 16 years old. She was only 16 years old. You were only supposed to build a bloody dozer. Why can't we?